Becky said that her weight is coming off very slowly since her bariatric surgery. It's hard for her not to get frustrated seeing the massive weight loss that others are experiencing. Do you feel just like Becky? What is it with slow weight loss? Well, don't go anywhere and let's talk about slow losers after surgery. Now available, try ProCare Health's three newest products at an amazing price. Get a bag of whey protein powder, a bag of our new multi-flavored mocktail calcium chews, and our new soft chew multivitamin, all for less than $75. Visit ProCareNow.com and enter Susan 10 to save even more. Hi, I'm registered dietitian, nutritionist, ex-radio dietitian turned podcaster, Dr. Susan Mitchell. You're listening to the Bariatric Surgery Success Podcast. It's episode number 115. Today, we're going to cut through the health hype. We're going to get to the accurate nutrition information that you want and that you've been asking for. Simple strategies that work. I want you to feel well every day. Go out, do all the things on that to-do list, on that bucket list. That's why I do the podcast for you. You're in the right place, and I'm so glad you're listening. I'd like to give a shout out today to Kelsey, who said, I listened to my first of your podcast this morning, and I found it so very helpful. Well, thank you for saying so, Kelsey. I'm glad you found the podcast, and I hope you benefit every single week. Well, joining me are your go-to bariatric dietitians, Isabel and Gail. Isabel Maples is a bariatric coordinator at UVA Health in Haymarket, Virginia. Gail Smith is a bariatric dietitian at the Weight Loss and Bariatric Surgery Institute in Orlando, Florida. You can find both Isabel's and Gail's contact information in the show notes. Hey, Isabel. Hey, Gail. Hey, hey Susan. So glad that you guys are here as always. I know you have a lot of good information on this topic today. <laughs> Definitely a popular one. You know, mm-hmm. so, so Becky requested that we cover slow losers after surgery, and she's not alone. Slow weight loss has been brought up in the Facebook group before several different times. And I agree with Becky that when your weight is coming off very slowly, while others that you know seem to be losing so quickly, it's hard not to get frustrated. So I want to talk about why slow weight loss happens and what can be done to give it a jump start again. So Isabel, let's start with you. Do you find that people lose differently after weight loss surgery, I'm not talking about weight in pounds or kilograms specifically, but rather how weight is lost after surgery and then over time and what you see happening. The rate of weight loss in the first three months, six months, especially varies dramatically from patient to patient, I find. And even health professionals ahead of time can't predict Who's going to lose fast? Who's going to lose slowly? Who's going to hit weight stalls? And who's going to lose steadily throughout that period? And that's why we tell our patients, don't compare yourself to others. This is your own journey. I'm so glad that you said that because comparing yourself to others, in my opinion, always sets you up for failure because you compare the worst things that are happening to you to their best things. And you always go, well, look at me, I'm an epic failure. And that's just not the case, right? Definitely. It has often nothing to do with what you're actually doing. 
So Gail, when you look at the various surgeries that people have done, do you see a difference in the amount of weight that's typically lost varying with the surgery? Yes, Susan, that is true. The different surgeries can have varying weight loss. But overall, with any of them, the consistency of following our guidelines for healthier menu planning, exercise, vitamins, and eating are key. Now, the DS patient can have the greatest percent weight loss, usually around 70 to 80% of their excessive body weight. And the sleeves and gastric bypass patients usually have close to that 50, 60, or even 70%. And another thing to remember is in the beginning, the greatest weight loss is in the first three months for everyone. And that's mainly due to their limited intake, due to the tightness of their new smaller stomach and the decreased intake. Uh, And again, you'll be talking about it more. Some of the hormones that uh, are called hunger hormones kind of go away for a little while but they do come back. The patients all tell me that they come back with a vengeance. But by that time, three, four, five months out, you should also have a plan in place. You should be eating at certain times and definitely trying to make sure you get in those four, five, six small meals a day with protein included with each of your meals, along with some other foods, obviously, not just all protein. So, Gail, do you typically see, like, let's say, right after surgery, you're losing so many pounds per week, and then that goes on for, say, the first month, and then the second month, that changes? Because I think people, it's helpful to know what to expect, uh, even though, yes. uh, even though, again, it's not the same for each person. Are there kind of some guidelines of what happens? Yes, exactly, Susan. Usually, the greatest weight loss is during those first three months. The first month, some patients are losing anywhere from three pounds to five pounds per week, or even some people one pound a day that have so much to lose that first month. Then it slows down the second month, but they're still losing two to three pounds per week. And by month three, post-surgery, they're slowing down to what's more normal, like a half a pound to a pound per week, which is more normal. And and I'm really glad that you said that this is more normal, that a half pound to one pound a week is normal because I can see the frustration that that could also look like or feel like a slow loser when in reality, it's the body adapting. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, Isabel, let's kind of tie this in too. So I'm thinking about this weight loss after surgery that we're just talking about, but is there a tie to your weight when you go into surgery? In other words, how much you lose after, does, is it tied to where you started? Well, how much weight you lose after surgery is also going to be, is going to be based on that excessive weight. How much extra weight do you have? And so one of the things I'll do and the doctor does before surgery is sit down with our patients and we talk about what an average weight loss is going to be. So we have a mathematical formula to figure out what is excessive. And we don't base it on what the patient says, but more on BMI 
charts. And then we look at what the patient wants to lose and see if that matches up to what's realistic. We say the average patient loses 60 or 70% for gastric sleeve or bypass, but average means some are going to lose more, some are going to be losing less. And so I want them to be realistic right from the start. And if they lose, you know, 10 pounds a month, that's usually what the doctor tells them. She's happy. Um, that's, that's more normal. And, but it scares me as a dietitian when I see my patients losing weight too fast. And so I take a close look at why they are losing so quickly. They're excited. I'm not excited about it. Um, are, <laughs> really? It's okay, tell us more. <laughs> well, are they skipping meals because they're not hungry? A lot of that fast weight loss right at the beginning, that first month, is often dehydration or maybe it's it's muscle loss. Are they having digestive discomforts like reflux and diarrhea, excessive fullness, maybe what my doctor calls the brick in the stomach feeling, discomforts that make them more cautious about eating, kind of scared to eat. And so they might not eat, eat enough. And likewise, when somebody is, is concerned about losing weight very quickly, I mean, very slowly, um, I look at his or her diet and exercise patterns. And is it a slow weight loss for that person? Um, and are those people really taking advantage of that low hunger level after surgery to practice and adopt healthier lifestyle habits? So sometimes it's just all about tweaking what they're doing to be a little bit smarter. And to reassure them, hey, let's look at these things. They'll, they might say, I'm losing weight real slowly, but guess what? I'm losing size in my clothing. Yeah. No? Uh, I, I love that because I like to remind people it's not necessarily about the scale, that the scale should not be our victory after surgery. There's so many mm -hmm. non-scale victories from especially clothing sizes that that's really where you see it, those changes that are happening in the clothing versus what the scale shows. So the non-scale victories, how you feel, the improvement in your health are so important. I, I like that you said that. You know, Gail, I'm going to play off this question to Isabel. Does the, going back to before surgery, does the amount of muscle mass that you have before surgery affect weight loss after? That is a, a good question. And yes, muscle mass helps to burn those calories. So definitely, especially after the one month from surgery, the recommendation is for the patients to get out there and exercise, not only walking aerobically, like, um, and, but also to have some strength training to increase and um, help develop that muscle and as they're changing the fat into muscle as they're losing the fat. We usually say about 45 to 60 minutes, three to five times a week with half aerobic and half strength training. If it's okay with your physician to begin to do the heavier lifting, because usually the first four weeks we say don't lift any more than about 10 to 12 pounds, and sometimes a little longer for certain patients that have had hernia repairs or excessive surgery additional surgery, like a gallbladder removed or something like that. 
And some patients also with bad backs or knees may have to vary their exercise to include like more um, gentle exercise, like getting in the water, water aerobics, swimming, chair exercises. And that's where the PT, the physical therapists and exercise physiologists can also be of help to the patients. I agree. And I think water aerobics, that's one of my favorite ways to work out. If you have access to a pool anywhere in your area, the greatest thing about water aerobics is that you can also do strength training in the pool because there are wonderful water weights that can be done with much less um, uh, injury or being less prone to injury because you're in the water. And boy, does it ever make you feel good emotionally. That's one of my most favorite things about it. (laughs) Without being as hard on their joints. Yeah, it's just really great. So Isabel, do you think the type of diet that's followed after surgery, so I'm thinking here, high protein versus keto versus low in calories, Does that affect the speed of weight loss? Yes, I think it definitely does. Fast weight loss can, I mean, really fast weight loss can often come from muscle loss. And we want to avoid that. And we tell our patients to add that strength training after a month. They'll see the doctor and she'll clear them. Um, And use a diet that is higher in protein. We know, research shows, that during periods of rapid weight loss, a diet that's higher in protein, 60, 70 grams of um, protein a day as a minimum, maybe 80 or 90 grams as a maximum, will help protect that muscle mass and allow more fat loss. We want the patients to lose weight, but we want them to lose more fat and less muscle. And by the way, a pound of fat actually has needs to have more of a calorie deficit than a pound of muscle. So a pound of fat has about 50% more calories in it than that pound of muscle. And so losing weight from fat is slower than losing weight from muscle. But I just love what you're saying about not losing your muscle mass because gosh, you know, that's your, that's your fire engine, so to speak. You know, that's the burning, the calorie burner and the, the quicker you can get in or get back to doing some kind of strength training, the more that powerful muscle you're going to have over, not just now after surgery, but over the long haul, which I just think is so, so important. But you do see people, a lot of discussion on protein versus keto, mm-hmm. which of course is higher fat and lower calories. And it's so clear that for success in bariatric surgery, it's all about the protein, right? Exactly. But a lot of people want to use more of a keto diet. They've had good luck with it before surgery. They're scared of carbohydrates. But we recommend a lower fat diet that, you know, eventually the, the diet ends up being a lower fat diet, not a high fat diet like keto. And one of the reasons is just the tolerance to the fat. And the other thing is that those carbohydrate foods like vegetables and fruits um, and eventually whole grains and other carbohydrates like that, some carbohydrates really add more nutrition in every bite. We want you to include those. Um, at first, 
you're only going to have room for the protein probably. People will tell me, oh, I'd just love to get in three green beans at least. But eventually you'll be able to have room for the fruit and the vegetables. Um, we start with the vegetables, then add the fruits. And, and really, it's not about counting calories. It's really about making your calories count. So if somebody is losing weight slowly, I dive a little deeper with them. Do they have unhealthy patterns? Are they choosing high calorie foods? Are they binge eating? Are they nighttime eating, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to eat? Um, are they adding alcohol back too soon? Can add a lot of calories. Um, are they developing bad sleep habits um, or, or not sleeping enough? And is depression playing a role? Some people tell me they get into a lot of depression after surgery. There's a lot of emotion going on with that surgery um, and the weight loss that this comes afterwards. And especially if you're worried about the weight loss rate. Right. And, you know, carbs fuel the brain. So carbs are a big source of energy for your brain and can definitely help with that when you're feeling depressed. But it's so important when those carbs do get added back, specifically in the form of the fruits and veggies that you just mentioned, Isabel, because they prevent the big C, constipation. Oh, and yes. there's yes. You know, nothing, <laughs> nothing worse than to have surgery nothing. and get constipated, people. Yeah. So, you know, you know, you laugh at you're going to say, hey, <laughs> I, I, that is why fiber uh, along the way, after you're getting your protein in, fiber starts to become very important. So it isn't just carbs, it's the type of carbs so that you don't get constipated. Absolutely. Okay, Gail. Gail. Okay, too much time. Sorry, but hey, I just, I hear about it. So I just want to make sure that you understand that, yeah, carbs are going to become important again. You can be sure Gail and I hear about constipation. Yes. Every day. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right, Gail. So you're the dreaded slow loser. You've hit a plateau. You're frustrated. How do you jumpstart the loss again? What are your favorite strategies? Well, Susan, I really like to meet with them in person, preferably, or virtually one-on-one and just ask them the question and then let them talk. How can I help you today? I see you've had your surgery, blah, 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 uh, months, years ago. What can we do for you today? And man, the floodgates open. And so I listen and then I stop them and say, okay, do you need help with a mental health counselor, a counselor? Are you having nighttime eating, binge eating? Do we need to have you also see someone else today besides me? And if not, then let's move forward. Let's come up with a plan together. Let is it, you know, you have to be realistic. What are you doing or what do you want to do today to make some changes from what's happening? Because a lot of times they're skipping meals because they want to lose weight. They've tried keto because I like Isabel said, that's worked for them before. They're not drinking water or getting their non-carbonated beverages. Some of them have gone back to carbonation, excessive caffeine. So we talk about all those things. I ask them, have you had labs done recently? Could you be low in iron? That's why you're craving chocolate. You know, I'm just saying that people do crave things when their their vitamins are out of whack. We also talk about tracking your intake, having a logbook or an app like the Berry Tastic app is a nice one, easy one to use. 
So it's just getting them back on track and giving them a plan that they are participating in. I think this is great. So if you're thinking, hmm, I'm a slow loser, then ask yourself some of these questions. Are you taking your supplements? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting fiber to make you feel full and to keep things moving? Are you you exercising? Are you strength training? And, and, you know, again, hopefully you're not answering yes to all of those, but there may be something that goes, you know what, that's what I'm doing, or that's what I'm not doing. So this hopefully makes you start to think about where I might need to tweak or do I need to to circle back with my dietitian to fine tune and nothing wrong with fine tuning. I'm a big believer that doesn't matter what you're doing in life, fine tuning along the way just makes you more successful. Okay, Isabel, what tips do you suggest to get that weight loss engine going again? You know, I'm like, yeah, I get back to the basics with them. Are they eating regularly scheduled meals and snacks? Or versus skipping or nibbling through the day. We're, I don't want that. I know that regularly scheduled meals and snacks can give them better nutrition and give them the better energy and satisfy their nutritional needs. Also, are they consuming 60 to 90 grams of protein a day? And from what foods? So maybe they're just getting the protein foods from um, protein chips or you know supplements like that. I, I want them to eventually move into real food and be getting more nutrition for every bite. Are they meeting their fluid needs with at least six to eight cups of no calorie, low calorie fluids and drinking those fluids between meals, not with the meals, even if they're further out? And do they recognize their body cues that signal when to stop eating? Right after surgery is a great time to learn that. So if you haven't quite got it, some people tell me, I can't feel full. Well, it's not in the belly. For most of my patients, only one or two say they feel fullness in their belly. It's more tightness in their chest, hiccups, a burp, a runny nose, um, something like that. And so sitting down with your dietitian and looking at those body cues and reassessing, you know, which ones have I missed and maybe... I'm not stopping eating at the right amount of time. Now, these are, these are excellent uh, tips from both of you for us all to go back and ask, you know, ask yourself, go down the list and, and be really upfront and honest with yourself and say, am I doing these things? Am I not doing these things? And I also think there's on the exciting end of things, there's new research in obesity that we're just starting to hear more about, uh, Gail, Isabel, and myself. And we're going to hear more about this in the coming months and years because we're finding out that in obesity, there also seems to be a malfunction in the signals uh, that the brain's sending out. So this is called what, what you'll hear called the gut-brain axis. And it's really the brain talking to the gut and the messages sending back and forth, the gut talking to the brain. And to bring that into focus, you've probably heard the hormones called leptin and ghrelin. Those are two, and there are many others, but the two you hear a lot about when your stomach is full, the brain signals for the release of leptin as an appetite control. In obesity, this signaling gets its wires crossed and it's not working correctly. So when the wires get crossed, you may be hungry and overeating because of the hormones kind of off track when you're actually full. 
and the hormone ghrelin is tied to stimulating the desire to eat, and sometimes it works overtime. But let me mention one of the benefits you just heard Isabel and Gail both talking about, at least short term, is that when you have a, a sleeve gastrectomy, for example, you have this decrease in the production of ghrelin uh, and because of the removal of part of the stomach. So you have this decrease in appetite, but then it fuels right back up, right, Isabel? <laughs> Eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes, when guess what happens when these signals get messed up? You're never satisfied and you feel constantly hungry. So I think what's really important to know here is that when you're losing weight through surgery, sometimes the opposite of what you think should happen does. You should, you should be losing weight really quickly and then it slows down. And sometimes it's not about what you're eating, but it's about your, your, the gut brain axis and the hormone levels and the messages that there's the body sending when you should feel full, but you're not, you're feeling hungry because of this malfunction. And there are even new uh, um, products or meds on the market you've hardly heard of, GLP-1. You might be taking it for um, diabetes, uh, glucagon-like peptide 1. And so we're finding out that things like this will play a role in appetite because it acts as a hormone. So you're, you may be given some of these things along the way. Are you guys using GLP-1 at all for a malfunctioning appetite at this point? I believe we are, and it may be called something different. But the main thing is these, these appetite suppressants can only be used for so long. So they're helpful to get that weight jump started in the loss category but they do ha still have to know what to do when they get these hunger urges and know how to, to uh, react. I, I so agree with that, that there's uh, they're all team players and it can't be a focus on just one. And Susan, and which leads us let in, me yeah, also uh -huh. say that there is help for people that are more of emotional eaters. Emotional eaters often deal with life by eating. And when that is not comfortable, um, they may still be trying to do it, but there are some help then, and there are dietitians that specialize in emotional eating, for instance. I think that's very smart because we can talk all about these food tips, but if you have a lot going on emotionally that hasn't been dealt with, then we all know that stress is dessert spelled backwards, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. Right. I do have some patients that tell me, hey, this used to be an issue. And now I just, I don't have those urges because the hunger level is low. But eventually that hunger level will come back because we don't want you to starve yourself. We, you know, your body is, is physiologically designed to help you lose, I mean, to maintain weight in order to stay alive. So we do want that hunger level to come back. Some people dread it, but it, it but it's a good thing too. All right. Absolutely. Any last tips either one of you want to leave us with as we wrap up? Well, one of the things I say is to talk to your doctor if you really are worried about slow weight loss, even if you've talked to your dietitian. For instance, maybe you can take a medication that helps with that emotional hunger or, may, or binge eating. Maybe you need your diuretic or fluid peel. Maybe you had one before surgery, it discontinued, and maybe you need some of it to adjust your body fluid level. Um, you may find that the diabetes medications may need to be adjusted to help ma better manage blood sugar 
which then allows for weight loss. And sometimes adding a weight loss medication, even after surgery, can make a difference. Agreed. Gail, Agreed, too. Just, just remember, just talk to us, come back to us, make an appointment. We can help you, whatever your problems or concerns are, because we're here and that's what we do. And just remember, just try to think about what you're doing and what you're not doing and begin doing what you really need to do, eating right, drinking between your meals. And remember, you will get those hunger cues, just like Isabel said, it's physiologically normal to have that. You just need to know what to choose. And we can help you with and some of those choices. When you meet well. with your dietitian, it's not about judgment. We're not there to say, oh, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. No, like Gail said, we're going to talk about where you are, what's a comfortable way to switch it out um, and, and work with you. Exactly. I totally agree. It is a judgment-free zone. And that's, yeah. that is why we're here. We care. It's why we do what we do. Because remember, you are worth it. Bariatric Surgery Success with Dietitian Dr. Susan Mitchell is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Dr. Susan Mitchell, or Practicalories, LLC.